I would like to thank all of you who have made it possible for me to talk to you here. I have to say that the main reason why I wanted to come here was because I wanted to talk to students of the university. Everywhere I go, I try as far as possible to come in contact with young people because they're the future of our world. And our young people in Burma are very much in need of a brighter future, a brighter future than the past that we have had. The topic of my talk today is politics and education. Uh, and what I think is common to both is the matter of choice. Politics, my father said, he, he defined it very simply as an attempt to improve the life of our people. That is what politics should be about. It is not necessarily what politics is about. But politics, of course, is about relationships, social relationships, relationships between peoples, relationships between different political parties, relationships between citizens and the state. It is about relationships. And we have to make our choice when it comes to the kind of politics in which we want to engage. And what education does is to help us to make more informed choices. I won't say better choices, but more informed choices, because education is what each single person makes of it. But at the same time, education is closely linked to politics, because how good or bad an education system in a country depends to a large extent on the government of a country. For example, in, my, in Burma, for many, many years, we have spent a very, very small percentage of our budget on education. About 2% for years and years and years. 2% of our budget, on national budget on, on education, is certainly not sufficient. And we, who at one time were the, were the best in Southeast Asia when it, became, when, when it comes to education, have dropped to the position of the worst in Southeast Asia. This was because for years we were under a regime which was more focused on controlling the people than on educating them, them to make informed choices with regard to their own lives. So for me, both politics and education help our people to make informed choices or should help our people to make informed choices. When we talk about democracy, we talk about choice. Democracy is nothing if people do not have a choice. And the greater the choices, the more genuine the democracy. This is why these days my party, the National League for Democracy, is putting a lot of emphasis on amendments to our constitution because the present constitution limits the choice of our people with regard to the kind of government they want to institute. So if we want to broaden politics to be truly democratic, we have to broaden the choice of the, our people. And if we want to make sure that our people make the best choice possible for our nation, then we have to improve our education system. Unless we know what the possibilities are, we will not be able to decide which might be the right choice for us. I think young people are more open-minded because they have not been molded by time and 
by repetitive experience. A lot of us become stuck in the mold in which we've placed ourselves as well as the mold in which society has placed us. And if we are to think freely and to make free choices, we need an education system which promotes freedom of thought. We talk about freedom when we talk about democracy. We talk about freedom of information. We talk about freedom of speech. We talk about freedom of, uh, of organization. We talk about freedom of demonstration. But fundamental to all that is freedom of thought. Unless we are capable of thinking freely, that is to say, of thinking without prejudice, of thinking without being hampered by what has happened in the past, we will not be able to institute genuine freedom of speech or expression. Um, an author wrote that history should be an inspiration, not a prison. I think by that he meant that we should be able to benefit from the good that has happened in the past to encourage us to strive for even better things in the future but that we should not be held back or imprisoned, shackled by the fears that have been instilled by our experiences of the past. To be able to break free from the prison of the past requires a lot of effort. It also requires the kind of education system that will encourage us bravely to make choices which have to do with the unknown. I think the great majority of people are afraid of the unknown because they are afraid that what has not happened before might be worse than what has happened in the past. And for that, we all have to take responsibility for our own choices. If we decide to follow a certain path, then we have to be aware of the possible dangers and disappointments, the struggles, and possibly the setbacks that we will have to meet on the way. But that should not stop us from making the choices that we think to be right. Very often, people ask me about uh, what they call my sacrifices. And this is something that I find very embarrassing. And I always answer that I did not make any sa sacrifices. I made a choice. I made a choice to follow a certain path. I made a choice to engage in the kind of politics in which I believe. And for that, I cannot say that I made a sacrifice. I think when people say they have made a sacrifice, they are usually asking for payment of some kind, at least payment in the form of recognition, if nothing else. And I do not think that that is right. A choice that you make freely requires a giving that is also free. You should not expect something back in return for something that you thought was right to do. The choice itself, the action itself, should be sufficient. If we expect payment for what we have done, certainly it's not a sacrifice. It's, it's a business <laughs> transaction. And, I, well, and whereas while I have great admiration and respect for the 
place of business in society, especially in a democratic society. I do not think that when it comes to political choices, it should be seen as a business transaction. Why I want our young people to be well-educated is because I want their minds to be as broad as possible. I want their vision to be as broad as possible, for them to be aware of as many choices as possible that are open to them, and then to be able to choose freely, without pressure from society or from, even from their peers. Sometimes I'm afraid that uh, in this day and age, young people are a little bit too concerned about what their peers think. While, of course, that is perfectly natural, and I think it is perfectly right that we should wish to live in harmony with those around us, we also need to have the courage of convictions that may not be the same as those held by the majority of people around us. Quite often, changes are brought about by a minority group rather than by the majority. I think in Poland itself, you are aware of the fact that your transition was spearheaded by a minority rather than by a majority group. But the influence and the inspiration of that minority grew to include the whole country, the whole people. In my country too, we are working towards such a situation. In 1988, the students of Rangoon University started a movement that led to an uprising throughout the country. That was not entirely new. Student engagement, particularly university student engagement in politics, has been part of our tradition since before the time of independence. My father was one of the student leaders who fought for Burmese independence. And it was from the members of the Rangoon Student Union that we found the leaders of our independence movement. So since then, the involvement of students, especially university students, in politics has been very much a part of our history. And in 1988, once again, the uprising for democracy started with a movement from among the students of Rangoon University. This was more than 20 years ago. And now our universities no longer enjoy the kind of autonomy we did, we did in the past. And there are, in fact, very few universities in Burma that could be described as undergraduate universities. That is to say, we have very few high education institutions in Burma where there is a vibrant campus life in which the students take part. We are trying to revive this tradition. The military government that ruled our country for decades was very nervous of student power. They thought that whenever undergraduates gathered together, there would be demonstrations and uprisings. Well, perhaps there is some truth in that, but I think uh, a responsible government, which has the support of the majority of the people, need not be frightened of demonstrations. Since I arrived in Poland yesterday, I've seen a demonstration going on. <laughs> and, uh, 
A very colorful it is too. I'm told it's going to go on for four days and will culminate with 100,000 people marching up and down the streets. Well, uh, I'm very happy for Poland that you are able to cope with a situation like this without fear, taking it as part of democracy. And we hope to get to that situation in Burma before too long. We are not there yet. There are demonstrations in my country now, which is different from what things were three years back. But certainly, we are not as far ahead as you are. And yet, our democratic, our movement for democracy started a year before yours. When, that is to say, I won't say a year before solidarity. I'm talking about your transition in 1989. When we had our uprising in 1988, the whole country was involved. And there were very many people who thought that it would not be very long before we became a truly democratic society. And we had elections in 1990. And although my my party won 90% of the seats. We were never even allowed to call parliament into session. That the results of that election were totally ignored by the military regime, which continued to hold power until 2010. In 2010, elections were held, and we now have a civilian government in the sense that the people who are in government are no longer in uniform but the great majority of them are retired army officers, and the great majority of them served in the previous military government. On top of which, our constitution is written in such a way that the military has a dominant position in Burmese politics. So the choice of our people is very limited by what the constitution allows us. And when we talk about education, we are talking about education, not just within institutions, but throughout our public, because our people need to be educated more about politics. I'm very proud to say that uh, our people are quick to learn. Uh, my party took part in the by-elections last year, and our main focus during the election campaign was to educate, if you like, our people of the importance of taking part in elections. I was told by Mr. Lech Wałęsa today that the Polish people are not as enthusiastic that, as he would wish them to be with regard to their participation in the electoral process. But I have to admit that I was greatly encouraged by the reaction of our people many of whom had never voted in an election. By the way, I must say that I have never voted in a free election in my whole life. When my country was a, a practicing democracy, I was too young to cast a vote. And by the time I became of voting age, my country had, become, uh, had fallen under military dictatorship. So there was no chance for me to vote in uh, elections. But during the 1990 elections, I was under house arrest. So I asked to be allowed to cast a vote because under the law, although I was under house arrest, I was entitled to vote. So I did cast a vote, but not freely. 
I did not cast a vote in the 2010 elections because that was not truly democratic. We do not believe it is truly democratic. And in the by-elections, uh, I was the, the, the township where I am registered as, as a voter was not vac uh, they, there was no vacancy there for taking part in the by-elections. So up to this day, and I'm now past 68, I've never yet cast a vote freely in an election. So all of you who have had this opportunity must learn to value it. And last year, when we were campaigning for the by-elections, I tried to explain to our people how important it was that they should exercise their right to choose the candidate of their choice to choose the candidate that they wish to represent them in parliament. And we were very successful with this campaign because I think the turnout was about the highest we've had in our electoral history. It was about 70%. And this is very encouraging because a lot of the, uh, the vacancies were in the rural areas where people understand very little about electoral politics. But they were very quick to learn. So that is what education is about, about learning, about helping people to learn, about making it possible for them to learn. So education has to be focused on the needs of the people rather than on the uh, desires of the government. Most governments want the people to be pliable, to be quiescent. Even democratically uh, elected governments prefer the pe people to agree with them rather than to disagree with them. I think perhaps that's human nature. We prefer it when people disagree with us rather than disagree with us. But choice is about disagreeing as well as agreeing. And this is why we put a lot of emphasis on education because we think that the better educated a people are, the more likely it is that they will make the kind of choices which will benefit society as a whole rather than individuals or particular organizations. So education, simply speaking, for us, is a broadening of the mind. It's teaching people to look beyond their own personal needs. And politics, too, should be the same thing. Politics should be about looking to the needs of our country in general, our society in general, rather than our own personal needs or the needs of particular institutions or organizations. This is where universities come in. It is in the realm of higher education that our young people learn to expand and to see the whole, the, the world as a whole. I've always said that one of the things I appreciated most about Oxford, where I studied, was the fact that they taught me to appreciate what is best in all civilizations, not just what is best in Oxford or what's best in England, but what is best in all civilizations. That is what education should be about, trying to teach us to recognize what is good, even in societies 
and traditions which are entirely different from ours. If we think that only what we know is good, then our world will get narrower and narrower. And the purpose of education is to broaden out the world in one way, and at the same time to make it smaller in the sense that it becomes more accessible to all of us. We are trying to write a new law for higher education in my country. This is to make our universities more autonomous, that the universities may choose how they teach their young people and what they teach to their young people, and that universities are free to decide what kind of institutions they should be. At the moment, all education is very much under the government. It's very highly centralized, and the government decides exactly how and what our, our children, as well as our young people, are going to be taught. And we want to change this. We want to change this that our people may be better equipped to deal with a democratic society. Democracy means responsibilities as well as rights. This is something I have been saying for years and years and years, and I'm happy to say that Mr. Wallenser seems to agree with me, that, universe, uh, that uh, democracy is about responsibilities as much as about rights. And if we are to exercise our responsibilities well, we need to be well educated. We need to know what the possible consequences of our decisions might be. This, again, is a great part of education, to be able to connect cause and effect. We, of course, a great majority of people in Burma are Buddhists. And one of the things that Buddhism teaches us is that cause and effect are linked together. You cannot have an effect without a cause. And a cause entails an effect. And that is a great way of teaching the idea of democratic accountability, cause and effect. Accountability is one of the most important aspects of good governance. I say accountability before transparency because unless we have a sense of responsibility, we cannot make transparency work. But it's the other way around, too. Unless there's transparency, we cannot say who might be accountable. So good governance, too, is part of the education process, teaching people to be accountable and teaching people of the value of transparency. In my country, which has suffered under authoritarian government for about half a century, governments think the government today, I think, still has a tendency to think that transparency is somehow an instrument to get at them. They think that transparency would expose them to criticism and that when people ask for transparency, it's with a view to criticizing and attacking the government. They do not understand that transparency can help them in many ways by helping them to avoid what would be unacceptable to the public as a whole. 
So education, I think, helps people to have more courage. And courage is necessary if we are to navigate unknown waters, which is what we are trying to do in my country. We are embarking on a journey to democracy. We are nowhere ne near there as yet. Many people are optimistic, over-optimistic, about what is happening in Burma. And they think that we are safely on the way to democracy. It's nothing like that. We are trying to keep on a good and straight path to democracy. But I don't think it's going to be very straight. And I don't think it's going to be very easy. I think there is a lot of struggle still to come. And the first of our struggles at the moment now is to amend our constitution, that it may give our people the right to choose what kind of government we want. The constitution as it stands at the moment limits the choice of our people very, very strictly. I'm not going to go into the details of this constitution, which I think you would find uh, somewhat tedious, but uh, it is a constitution which, me which makes the military the dominant power in our country, although we are supposed to have a civilian government. And it also restricts the people's right to choose who should be their leader. And it restricts the rights of our ethnic nationalities who wish to have more autonomy in their own states. So we have a restricted constitution, which is to say, which narrows down the choice of our people. And as I believe that the better politics is the politics of greater choice, this is where we start to need to change. And we need to change our people's way of thinking to make them take greater responsibility for their future, for their destiny. When we were fighting for independence, the leaders of our independence movement said, we want to decide our own destiny. But deciding your own destiny means also taking responsibility for your own destiny. You can, if you are independent, you cannot blame a colonial power for everything that goes wrong with you. I feel very sad these days when I hear people in my country still blaming the <coughs> colonial powers for what is going wrong now. And um, of course, they're very selective about it. The good things they all take credit for. But the bad things they, go, they blame on the colonial power, which we got rid of more than 60 years ago. And since uh, the British ruled Burma for about 60 years, and we've now been independent for about 60 years, I think if we go on blaming the uh, colonial power for what is going wrong in our country, it just means that we have not done as well as they did. If they were that effective for 60 years that we are still suffering from what they, what they decided to do then, it means that we have not been able to achieve as much during our 60 and more years of independence. So we make the choice that we want to make, and we take responsibility for that. For me, that is what politics is about, democratic politics. If we want a democracy, we must make up our minds to take responsibility for that, to be accountable. And we would like our young people to have the courage 
to take responsibility. And education gives people confidence and courage. And educated youth makes it possible for a country to move forward with confidence and to take risks which are unavoidable if we want to embark on a new way, on a new path. When I came to Poland, I came here to learn from you what your transition was like and how you managed to overcome the obstacles, the troubles that stood in the way of building a democratic society. During my one and a half days here, I have learned much. Uh, I would say that in many ways, Poland was more fortunate than we were. But because our challenges are greater, because our difficulties are much more, I think it would also help us to be stronger. So it does not depress me that our path to democracy is considerably more difficult than yours. But I would hope that as we walk along the path, we will have your support and your help and ideas from you. We need to work together if we want to make our world a better place to live in. In the end, I think this is what all peoples want, whether we live in Poland or in Burma or other parts of the world. We want to live in a world that is more harmonious, that is more peaceful, that is more prosperous, that we may be able to leave to future generations a legacy of which we can be proud. Life is not that long. I think most of us would consider ourselves quite fortunate if we live into our 80s. And 80 years is not long in the history of any nation. To be able to change a nation within one's lifetime is something of which we can be proud. And I think the Polish people of this generation have been able to do this with success. Perhaps not to your complete satisfaction, but I think you are respected and admired for what you have achieved. And we want to achieve the same thing. In our lifetime, we want to leave our country in the kind of situation of which coming generations can be proud. We want the politics of our country to be well-informed, to be democratic, to be inclusive, to be based on the ability of our people to make the right choices because they have been educated in such a way that they become capable of making the best choices open to them. Thank you. Thank you very much, madam. Thank you once again for coming to the University of Warsaw. 
We are on very tight schedule, so we have approximately 10 to 15 minutes for questions. Uh, so I'll be very brief. Who's first? Okay, gentleman here. Michal Lubina, Diagonal University. Madam, uh, I would dare to ask a provocative question because I believe that democracy is also about being provocative. Um, you mentioned colonial times, so I'd like to quotate the most famous uh, colonial scholar, John Farnival, who in his famous book, Colonial Policy and Practice, he has written that the machinery of democratic government is a dangerous implement to place in the hand of uneducated people. Would you agree with this? I think uh, any instrument could be dangerous if it's not well used. And I think uh, educated people are just as capable of using an instrument badly as uneducated ones. Yes, please. I'm a student here at the University of Warsaw. Uh, I have two very short questions for you uh, regarding the ongoing sectarian violence in Burma. Uh, as of now, uh, reports say that uh, more than 200 people have been killed and more than 250,000 have had to flee their homes. So uh, could you please say uh, why uh, haven't you spoken directly against what's happening and also uh, could you tell us your opinion on the 969 movement and uh, Mr. Achin Wiratu, who is said to be the main instigator of the anti-Muslim violence? Thank you. Are you talking about the situation in the Kachin state or in Rakhine, when you talked about displaced people and uh, those who have been killed? I see. Well, I've spoken a lot about the situation. It's, it, it, it's just that people don't listen because I don't make what they called um, exciting comments. Uh, my attitude towards many things is not particularly exciting. I'm very down to earth. I think the problems in the Rakhine state could have been controlled at a very early stage if the government had put emphasis on rule of law. I've always said that rule of law is the basic, the basic foundation of peace in our country. If two communities are suspicious of one another, if there has been violence, the first thing to do is to establish rule of law that all of them might feel secure. This is what I've always said. You cannot expect people who are frightened of one another to sit down and work out a peaceful solution. And this is what I said repeatedly, but uh, nobody was really interested in hearing it because they, People are always interested in condemnations. And I've always said that I don't go in for con condemnation. I go in for con reconciliation. And with regard to the 969 movement and Uwaratu, and yes, there are many Buddhists in the country who are concerned that they would need to protect their religion. But I think we all have to learn to live together. And I have great belief in the basic values of Buddhism which are founded on compassion, on, on wisdom, on loving kindness. And I'm sure that these values will reassert themselves in our society because they are so rooted in our history and our traditions. Thank you. The lady here. My name is Agnieszka Kruk. 
Um, uh, I had the opportunity to visit uh, Burma in 2009, so it was a different world. So I'm still uh, kind of in disbelief that I'm actually speaking to you and asking a question. I'm not a student any longer, I'm a professional and an educator. So my question is, in the field of education, um, do you expect um, educators from outside countries to come to Burma? And if so, what kinds of fields um, are in your interest? Thank you. We need educators of every kind from outside Burma as well as inside a country. I'm particularly uh, concerned with legal education, with the teaching of law, because I'm the chair of the Committee for the Rule of Law in Parliament. And uh, for years, our law department, uh, uh, we don't have a faculty as such, we have a law department. It hasn't even got the status of faculty. In, uh, in Rangoon University, for example, has been not of the best. To begin with, we had the system, uh, we still have the system, whereby the number of marks, the, the total of marks you get at the matriculation exam, which is the exam at the end of your high school year, high school period, uh, decides which subjects you can choose. For example, you have to have very high marks to get into the medical faculty or to get into the engineering school. Whereas to study law, a mere pass mark is sufficient. So it means that we don't have good students going in for law. And that has not helped our society at all. We need good lawyers. We need people who understand the law and who respect the law in order that we may build up rule of law in our country. So while we welcome people, uh, educators of every kind, I would particularly like to emphasize the need to strengthen our law department. The gentleman in the third row. Thank you very much. Dawang uh, Sang it's very nice to meet you. I've been working in Myanmar in the last year as a development consultant with the Asian Development Bank. Um, my question really is that obviously at this time there is a tremendous interest in Myanmar. People see Myanmar as the kind of, I might say, the, the future country that's going to lead Southeast Asia, one of the richest countries in Southeast Asia in the future. Um, and there's therefore a lot of inter interest from the international donor community and also from investors. And so what worries me a little bit is that at this time, it seems that the government is eager to prove that it can deliver actual goods on the ground. And it's therefore tending to go for short-term solutions to many problems rather than longer-term solutions. And many of the fundamentals are just not in place at the present time in terms of the policies and the laws. How would your party intend to tackle this? Thank you very much. Uh, we've always said that uh, what is lacking in Burma are national plans and policies, uh, but we should take into consideration long-term goals as well as short-term results. Because I think we have to be practical. Our people need to know that there will be an improvement in their lives. For example, uh, Burma is, I think, the uh, the country in Southeast Asia with the greatest number of water resources. And yet, more, less than 50% of the people of our country have access to potable water. Now, this is something that should be changed in the short term rather in the long term. 
the needs of the people are very simple. When I go to the villages and to the small towns, I simply ask them what their greatest needs are. First, jobs. Secondly, water. Third, roads. Fourth, electricity. And fifth, education. Sixth, health. This is what they say almost everywhere you go in the country. Now, the, the government should be aware of this. And if they're aware of this, then they should have a national plan that will address these issues. Uh, jobs. We've always said that job creation is extremely important, but I have not been aware of any plans on the part of the government to uh, encourage job creation. But when you say short-term results, I'm not sure that they are even going in for projects with short-term results. Everything seems very vague. Uh, I'm worried because after three years uh, of the so-called reform period, very few of our people can say that their lives have changed for the better. You have to be practical. You have to give people hope. There has to be, there have to be some short-term gains, gains that will make them happier to wait for the long-term results. I think it's all too, uh, all too easy to say jam today or jam tomorrow. But I don't think you can say rice today or rice tomorrow. You have to be able to eat today. You can't rice, uh, wait until tomorrow. So I think the government needs a better planning, not just long-term projects and programs, but also projects and programs that will improve the lives of our people in the short term, such as better water resources, better roads. These are necessary. You can't expect them to wait 10 years uh, to, to get potable water. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, two more questions, one here and somebody from the middle. I am Camila Stasiak from Jagiellonian University Far East Studies Student uh, Academic Association. I have uh, one question. Do you think that it is possible for minorities in Myanmar to to be united and to keep their identity. Thank you. Yes, it's possible, but it's not going to be easy. We have to work very hard at it. The present constitution is such that it will not help to bring a unity among our ethnic nationalities. This is another reason why the constitution needs to be amended. Unity is always a possibility, but seldom easily achieved. And the last point, the gentleman in the back. Thank you. I'm a Chinese, so we got some similarity between our countries. So uh, I fully agree with your opinion that uh, education, the purpose of education is to um, broaden the people's mind, sorry, to broaden people's mind, and then you will know how to make options, make alternative, and make your decision. But if you under a country such as China, it's also centralized for the education system. What's your opinion and your suggestion to share with us? And unfortunately, we don't have Aung San Suu Kyi in China. <laughs> but, but I have faith in people, and I have faith in young people. And if there are young people like you, you will be able to institute the kind of changes that will be good for your country. So you mustn't be discouraged. And even though I'm not in China, I'm very close to you. <laughs> Thank you very much, madam.